Battle Line Podcast. I'm Ian Scotto. I'm Tato. <laughs> and uh, yeah, every show we try to, uh, you know, every now and again we have a guest-free show, but we try to interview people from all different backgrounds. And, and, and in this case, Zach's background is a Marine, and he is one of the most incredible stories of rescuing this puppy at the bottom of a canyon, stuck there for weeks. You guys are going to be amazed when you hear it. Um, before we get over to that, though, uh, we do have to shout out the people who make this show possible. Uh, first of which that we'll bring up is is Ned. And I was actually speaking with uh, Adam Kokesh, another former Marine who I know, or retired Marine, I know, um, online on Twitter. And we were talking about, well, he was uh, mentioning how there's so much CBD in the market. And a lot of it is about uh, just who has the best label and a lot of marketing gimmicks and a lot of CBD with all these different ingredients that really isn't as pure as a company like Ned. And that's actually why I just recently recommended it to him, to him because uh, Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their product and their extraction process all right there on their site. And the difference between them and a lot of the other CBD companies out there is that their full-spectrum hemp oil only contains two ingredients. That's full-spectrum hemp extract and non-GMO organic MCT oil. That's it. They also have the body butter, lip balm, and the natural cycles line. But the benefits of cannabinoids uh, range from helping with anxiety to helping with uh, sleep issues and and many other different things, post-traumatic stress. Uh, and that's why we speak so highly of it. Yeah, you know, and it's it's had a, a positive side effect, attended, whether it was intended to or not, which has helped me control my, uh, my ulcerative colitis, which has given me, uh, of course, a better better lease on life, you know, not having to worry about stomach aches or what I'm eating or so forth. And those who've had UC uh, ulcerative colitis or any inflammatory bowel disease knows that it can, it can ruin your day sometimes because you can get up in the morning and, and feel fine. And then an hour later, after you eat something wrong, you don't even know if, it's, if, if it was that you're stuck at home all day because you're afraid to go out because you need a, you need a restroom nearby. So Ned has, Ned has really been a, a, a great, uh, great part of my lifestyle now, and it's going to be something I'll have for the rest of my life to have and continue to have a healthy lifestyle. And it's uh, allowed me to to get back to really get back to normal and get sexy again. You know, <laughs> a video. So, so yeah, kudos to Ned on, on all the stuff they're doing and the body butter. Body butter again, I, I swear by it. That stuff is the best best uh, for thing for sore muscles, arthritis, anything out there. Better than any analgesic I've ever had, and it doesn't smell like that, you know, that analgesic, icy hot smell. So, um, yeah, kudos to Ned. I highly recommend them on all their products, everything that they have and their immunity blend as well. Yep. Yeah. Check them out guys. If you want to check out Ned and try their CBD or any products we've talked about for yourself, we have a special offer for the battle line podcast. Go to helloned.com slash battle line. Or you can just enter Battleline at checkout at helloned.com for 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order, plus free shipping. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Battleline to get 15% off your one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order, plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. Also, you happen to be wearing a Fort Scott Munitions shirt, <laughs> which is awesome. One of the new shirts that they put up there. Yeah. And, uh, well, it, it's it's actually important to say because you can no longer buy ammunition yeah. on their site. So if you want to use our promo code, you could use it and pick up a shirt, pick up a hat. But um, they have a store locator section now on their website if you want to see where near you stocks Fort Scott Munitions. 
and you can pick it up at your local gun dealer. So Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Once again, you can use our promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order, but at fortscottmunitions.com, they're really only stocking merchandise and that type of thing um, and other things. But uh, for the ammo itself, go to fortscottmunitions.com, check out the store locator, and you'll be able to see where near you has Fort Scott Munitions, Fort Scott Ammo, on the, uh, you know, just in the store. So Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. And with that, let's get right into everything. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dead for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The switch is on. Battleline Podcast. I am really excited to have Zach Anderegg coming on this show, who's a guy I randomly came across because, I mean, his story, we'll get into it, but it's from 10 years ago, and I do some of the writing for the other podcasts, one of the other podcasts I work for with Narrative.fm in the wild, um, and I just wanted to do a, uh, you know, animal story of animal rescue type of thing, and I randomly came across this story of Zach going hiking and uh, going rappelling, which he learned as a Marine. And as he's about to leave this slot canyon in Arizona, he sees what he thinks is a puppy stuck at the bottom of the canyon. And sure enough, we'll get into it. But abused animal who was there for Zach believes weeks until he came across him and got him out of there. Yeah, I I, I didn't know the story um, until you sent it to me. So it's it's going to be good to hit him on, just have him talk about the experience because I, I don't think a lot of people probably knew about the story, or if they did, being so long ago, maybe a good refresher. Um, but he also, uh, you know, he wrote a book about it and I, I did a little bit of research on it last night because, because uh, again, I, I wasn't familiar with the story and like any, I, and I think there's a lot of veterans out there that go through an experience that's outside, even myself, done the same thing, an experience that's outside the military when they get out 
and they learn about themselves. They start applying uh, what they went through to their own lives, which is what he did. And again, he, he wrote a book about it. And uh, and we'll, we'll get into that when we get him on the show. When we get him on the show here in a few minutes. But um, yeah, it'd be tremendous, tremendous uh, story. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing it because I, I know very little about it. Yeah, I uh, I mean, he did do a lot of press and all that and was on Ellen. But let's be honest, I don't watch Ellen. Yeah, <laughs> neither do you. I wouldn't have seen it. You well, know. Yeah, you know, t- 10 years ago, I wasn't even in country more than maybe four or five months out of the years. Yeah, and you're right. I don't watch Ellen either. Nothing against Ellen. I just don't watch Ellen. Maybe if she had me on the show, maybe, yeah, maybe that watch her more. But I yeah. <laughs> And he's familiar with your story because when I told him, uh, you know, that we were going to have him on, he's like, oh, yeah, 13 hours. And he's like, those guys went through in Benghazi. So I'm sure we'll get into all that. Um, But before we do, I got an email from Chris and Mike, who I believe do a uh, Mitch Rapp podcast on, you know, the Mitch Rapp series created by Vince Flynn. And they wrote to us at battlelinepodcast at gmail.com. Saw your tweet about questions for the podcast. Any of you read uh, Vince Flynn's Mitch Rapp books? If not, uh, do you have a favorite military or spy thriller author? Um, I'll answer this one first because I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I, I don't like to bullshit the audience. I just don't. Um, so I had the pleasure of interviewing Kyle Mills, who took over for Vince Flynn um, when you know he passed away for the Mitch Rapp series. And, of course, we had the you know honor of interviewing Brad Thorpe. Yeah. And I always come prepared for those interviews. <clears throat> I have them send books over, and I'll get to know uh, you know, what's, what's in that book, the contents of it, I'll skim through it. And, um, you know, cause I, I obviously don't like to do an interview where I'm like, what's the book about? <laughs> I like to be prepared. <laughs> that being said though, I am mainly a nonfiction reader. I'd be lying to you guys if I said I'm like a big military, um, fiction thriller reader. I'm not my, my type of book is more like, you know, I'll give a shout out to him, like Jack Murphy's Murphy's law book or, you know, your latest book. Mm-hmm. I, those are the type of books I tend to read or autobiographies, biographies. Um, I still try to come prepared because I want to do a great interview with these guys, but it's, and, and I completely respect their work. Like Vince Flynn was a tremendous author, but that's not typically um, what I read. I'm not the biggest fiction guy. So that's my answer. I, I'm the same way. I'd say out there, but I, most of the books I read and the, and the generally are military books or, I do. I do like to read uh, Native American books that are passed on to me. Um, it reminds me of growing up and it reminds me of my grandmother, to be honest with you. But I think they're they're great reads as well. But um, yeah, now fiction, I don't unless it's unless it's graphic novels, <laughs> the, <laughs> the Marvel Universe or the DC Universe. I do read those. But yeah, you know, I, but I, you know, you know, I know Vince Flynn, of course, and, and the books he has out there. I'm sure they're fantastic um, and, but I, I couldn't answer that. Yeah. I couldn't answer that without, without lying straight to straight to your faces, guys. I've never read one and it's not the genre that I, I, I get into when I read books. Yeah. And you and I, I think it's the same way because like when Brad Thor sent us his latest book, I definitely take a look in there and I get to yeah. know what the novel is about, but I also only have limited time. I can't read everything. And I, you know, this is a whole nother subject, but I sort of think ADD is bullshit, very controversial, but I was diagnosed with ADD. And I think what it really just means is I have to be very interested in something, but for lack of a better way of putting it, when I read fiction, sometimes I think the ADD kicks in and I can't, I just can't get that into it. Even if it's a great book, my, like I like to hear about real life stories. I think that's why I like doing what I do. Like, you know, talking to someone like you or when we have Jack on the show and, and I did read Jack's book, I love those real life stories about what people actually did in, in combat. And, and look, I know for like, um, 
Jack Carr, who we had on the show, even though he's a fiction writer, those are based off his real life stories. But I just I like the biogra- uh, biographical, autobiographical stuff to back. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I military history is my thing. As I, when I read it, you know, it's it's I understand the lingo. If it's if it, the editors have kept it pretty raw, and it, it just it just brings you back into into an element that you're used to being in. You're comfortable, and it is. It's a comfort zone. And I think reading reading should expound your your senses, expound your mind, but I also think yeah, reading what you're interested in puts you in a comfort zone because you feel. You feel, oh yeah, I know what they're talking about. Oh, I know what that word means. Oh yeah, what what Article fifteen? Oh yeah, I know it. I know exactly what that is. A lot of you veterans know exactly what that is yes. out there. <laughs> but yeah, you read those in those books. You're like, oh yeah, this it's like the book's talking to you, and that's where I, why I enjoy the 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 nonfiction military history or the or government. You know, anything that has to do with government, um, government history, paramilitary, but it has to be in the military paramilitary world. Cause it's just the interest is there. Or when they talk about the, the areas they're working in, like, Hey, yeah, we're in the helmet province. Like, Oh gosh, yeah, I remember I was there. And then they start talking about it and it brings back those memories of my own experiences. So yeah, I, I'd be lying again. Yeah. To talk it, but fiction books are fantastic. Um, if that's what you're into, but I, so I say, read what you're into. If, if you, yeah. that's not what you're into, then yeah, don't worry about it. Go find something that you're into. Just read it, read Really- yeah, there's, de- there's definitely something for everyone. And, and especially even now with audiobooks. although I think, um, I, I think you still get a little bit more out of actually reading a book than putting on an audio book. I, I do too. I, 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 it's hard for me to listen to, to audio books. I, I can't, I just can't really get into it, but maybe I'll even though you read two of them, I, right? I know I read both the Ranger way and the Patriots Creed. That was fun though. That was a great experience. Getting just another experience uh, reading in the same studio that Larry, the cable guy did Mater here. In, nice. in, in, the guy that does it. Yeah. He's, he's uh, we have a studio here in Omaha and he said, guys, p- you know, people come in and do reads in his studio. And I thought that was one of the coolest, coolest things ever. It's like, yeah, Mater was here reading, reading, you know, he does his cars reads here for, the Cars movies, but um, yeah, audio books are fantastic if that's what you're into. I, I just it's hard for me to stay focused, but I'll, I'm going to try to do it more as I get older and I drive more around the country. I'll probably get into it more so I can stay awake because talk radio is how I stay awake when I drive. Music puts me to sleep. Yeah, I, I think I could stay focused on them. It's just um, I think like the whole cognitive, uh, uh you know, um, I, I'm trying to put the word, you know, get the words here, but like the the um process of just like reading a book i think is probably uh more beneficial than listening to a book i just think for the mind i don't know yeah I, you think of it as a i mean literacy is important i'm just saying you know, what I mean? like, uh, you know the mind is a, is a muscle do you get a better workout reading the book than listening to it i think you do but I, that's what i, I mean I, I, but yeah. I, I i look at it as a workout do i get a better workout when i just watch the weights and hear them or when I actually get in there and start lifting. Yeah. Things. Yeah. <laughs> so I get your point. And I, I, I agree. That's why reading and, and uh, reading does, I don't know. The, it, I think it just depends on the individual. For me, I get more out of reading it. I do feel like I'm working my brain more than when I'm sitting there just listening to somebody tell yeah. me what's going on in the book. Yeah. And I you're agree. probably like learning some new vocabulary words. You're like, I gotta look that up. What <laughs> is that? You know, even if I'm reading like the stupid books that I do, I, I the stuff I read, like I say is, you know, uh, I, I just read Andy uh, Beersack from Black Veil Bride's autobiography. You know, I'm not even really a fan of theirs. I just like rock autobiographies. And it was a good book. But uh, that's the type of stuff that I tend to read. Um, but you know what? You were mentioning getting a better workout. 
I still cannot believe when I go to the gym and I see people reading an actual book while, oh, working, while they're out. working out. Those yeah. two don't go along for me. But all, and also every now and again, I get an email that says, I listen to the podcast while I'm working out. I do not understand that. I, I listen to podcasts all the time, but I, I can't get hyped listening to this. I, I need some like Metallica yeah, or something. Some guys, that's just, that's what gets them going. That, whatever takes your mind off the workout. So the work, I, I, I listen to music too. It takes your mind off the workout while you're working, while you're working out, pushing you harder. So you're not thinking about the, whether it's pain or discomfort that you're going through when you're, when you're lifting or working out, which you do, that's part of growing your muscles, growing, you got to go through a little pain and discomfort, not to the point of injury, but whatever takes your guy sit there, whatever takes your mind off that pain and discomfort, do it. If it's listening to the battle line podcast. Yeah. Heck yeah. Do, uh, keep listening to it and recommend it to everybody else at the gym too. And, uh, and have them listen to it. And Hey, maybe we'll start a trend. We'll be the workout podcast. We'll put have a new, hey, new but can you get, personally right can you get hyped to this you're like going for your max and you're like oh they're talking they're interviewing this guy i gotta hear like a heavy guitar riff or something uh, you know no you're, no i can't i can't say i can i'd be lying to you i have to have some music of, of something and my music genre when i'm working out is all over the place it goes from five finger death punch to elton john literally then to back to NWA, then it flips all the way back to George Michael, then it goes all the way back to Mudvayne, then it comes back to New Edition. I mean, I'm all over the place in my workouts. Then Aquid and and uh, Kid Frost pop on. Then you, then it comes back to uh, Jane Child from that one one hit wonder Jane Child from the uh, from the '90s. I mean, it's just so. But I have to I have to I have the music everywhere. So yeah, because that's what stays me motivated. Not my voice. I sure as hell ain't gonna listen to my voice <laughs> while I'm working out. I sound no, like I know I sound like David Beckham, man. With the <laughs> no, I, I, I can't. I can't. No way. <laughs> like shut. Turn that idiot off. Tell him to blow his nose or take some take some Sudafed or something. He sounds like he's got a plugged up nose. That nasal sounding sob. So no, I can't listen to myself. Never. <laughs> my thing with uh, the workout playlist was um prior to covid actually because this is the one thing that's still not open at least for me is um you know the saunas the saunas are still not open and so my thing would be i would listen to you know it was a lot of rap or metal while i'm working out and then when i went to the sauna it was like calm down time and i would lit i would have like gloria estefan you know and it because it's it actually is for me and i would in no way i'm comparing this to combat because it's not even comparable <laughs> but i'm saying when you're in the gym you are in that the switch is on mode and then when you're in the sauna it's like all right i'm calming you know, down and I'm going back the rest yeah. of my day or night right now but yeah that uh, speak that brings a story back you just reminded me of my first trip to baghdad um and this was uh I think oh three or oh four. I, I know it's. I th believe it's oh four, um, and that was we had a mission. I was on team four because, and this is it, it ties into what you're talking about here. Um, and we were called Team Foxtrot when we were early on because there wasn't a lot of teams there, so we were intermixed with Dyncore and Blackwater because we didn't have enough guys. But then we finally got enough Blackwater guys there, so now we we're team four. And we were tasked by up at that time for people that in 03, 04, 05, uh, a biop or route Irish was the most dangerous road in, in Iraq. I mean, close second was the route 10 going in and out of Fallujah and Ramadi and all that, the Ambar province. But, um, and we had been tasked after there for two months to, to go ahead and escort what they called a rhino. It was a big armored bus that took State Department and government officials to the airport to go home. 
And that was our day. I was our job for like a 45 days to two months, about 60 days. And it was basically six times a day at the exact same time with the slowest vehicle you could protect up and down Irish for six times, six times a day for two months. And, you know, I told the team and every one of us just was like, well, uh, do you have your wills set up? Because I mean, we're, we're like, we're, we're dead. We're, we're, we're violating every, every rule of security. We're time and place predictable. We're slow. We're big. So we're a huge target. And of course we, we had armored vehicles, ours that were basically light armored that couldn't handle more than five or six, seven, six, two rounds. But every day that we would go, we, and I have pictures of it. I, 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 Joe, I get them from Joe. We're on the back of our suburbans listening to Slipknot and Mudvayne and listen. And, and actually it was, it was, uh, the Slipknot album. Gosh, I always forget when we start talking. But it was. I think you made you may have spoken about it on uh, the show. Did you say it was like the subliminal verses? The subliminal verses. Yeah, it was. As, I remember you saying. It's we a good memory. Yeah, you're stuff. good. Yeah, it was that album. <laughs> I think that's still one of the greatest albums ever made. I and and we're jumping, rocking on it. But at the end of the day, which was the end, it was like in the evening. So we started we started like at eight in the morning and we finished at six at night. Uh, five or six at night going up and down by all day um, every time we'd end up we'd come, be coming back from the airport on the last run of the day we'd put on clocks from Coldplay and, wow and we were going to say Elton John no I, well, we, I mean that's just that was when the clocks was a huge thing and that still oh, it was a great song yeah and, it's, and when and you hear the piano starting you could just feel I mean everybody just went <sighs> it was it was so relaxing and when I hear clocks from Coldplay I still actually it, it reminds me, I get the feeling of, of what we had being amped up all day, getting ready just to get our asses blown up, which obviously we didn't because I'm here. But, um, and, and then that was like, it was like we get back and everybody would be just relaxed and, and smiling and happy. And people were like, whoa, you mean you were doing that on your last run of the day? You still needed to stay amped. We were amped all day that we needed that chance to come down. Believe me, we were still ready to go if we had to go, but it was, it was, yeah, that the music that just, it's so taking working out what you need. I need that hard rock music to get myself pumped up. But at the end of it, you got to have something bring you down. And that Coldplay clock still holds a place in my heart because that that was special because it brought the whole team down. And you just we played on our speakers so you could, everybody could hear it. the whole motorcade. Our three vehicles could hear clocks. And it was. Yeah, man, I heard it a couple of days ago and I was like, oh, my gosh. And I remembered exactly where I was, you know, when I first heard it. And that was flying down Route Irish, coming from Biop back to the green zone and be like, oh, my. And you just just a smile on my face, man. It was incredible. So, yeah, music. Music's what got, keeps me pumped up, too. Getting back to the audiobooks for music lifting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely music. But music holds a special place in, in all of veterans' hearts. I think every song every veteran has ever listened to, there's some song that just peaks him like, oh, my gosh, I remember exactly where I was. Smells, I remember the smells, the sights, the sounds, and why we were doing it. Everyone, every veteran has a song. Um, mine is Coldplay. That's what brings me down. You want to play me to, to calm, the, calm the beast, just play Coldplay clocks, and I'll, be, I'll bring right, come right back down and just smile and just say, okay, so let me relax for a little bit. This feels good in my lavender bath or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing how music takes you back to a time and a place i i agree um but although i don't have the same experiences as you as you of course um before we get over to zach we have some more great sponsors that uh, have come on board and are keeping us doing what we do you heard us last week talk about steam do you prefer a shot of espresso to start your day 
Well, you need to try out Steam, an authentic espresso, strong, smooth coffee crafted by forcing hot steam through finely ground coffee beans at high pressure. Steam espresso is 100% espresso, non-GMO, and organically farmed. Steamed is an artisan espresso, never mixed or mass-produced, and it is shipped right to your door and available in select retail locations. It's a simple twist on the classic favorite, espresso steeped in raw cacao and triple filtered for a smooth chocolate finish. Lightly sweetened with just a few grams of organic cane sugar and loaded with beneficial antioxidants. So this is really good for you. And they even tell you where the espresso was harvested. The current espresso, uh, current harvest, comes from the Finca Nueva Esperanza farm from Chiapas, Mexico. <laughs> You're giving nice, me a thumbs up. Nice. Uh, discover a newfound focus and energy as you start your day with steam. Ask yourself, well, one, ask yourself, what will I achieve today? Two, drink steam. Three, go out and do it. I love the positive message that they have out there. So to see for yourself how good espresso can be, go to trysteam.com. That is T-R-Y-S-T-E-A-M-M.com. Again, go to trysteam.com. T-R-Y-S-T-E-A-M-M dot com. And a brand new sponsor we have on board with us now is 1440. We always talk about good sources of news and um, getting a balanced perspective on things. And if you go to their website, actually, um, you'll see some of the testimonials that they're doing news on all different things, whether it's Bitcoin or um, uh, CRISPR. With We talked about a little bit of that with the um, episode with Ben Morgan about like the DNA stuff. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're covering a lot of things that I think get overlooked in the mainstream media. So instead of cleverly crafted messaging and news narratives, 1440 provides an impartial view of what's happening in the world so readers can form their own conclusions. If you're dreaming of a news service that doesn't also tell you how to interpret current events, try 1440. They scour hundreds of sources each day and they deliver news with breadth plus depth thoughtfully curated by experts in a single morning briefing straight to your inbox. 1440 believes news is not about proving one side is right, but it should, it should inspire objective conversation that helps you navigate the world around you, which is pretty much our same philosophy that it shouldn't all just be about split screen debate. Yeah. My side is right. Your side is wrong. <laughs> because I think a lot of the times you don't hear the perspective from the side that you might not agree with and get to hear uh, why they feel the way that they do, and and also hear from genuine experts in the field. So I I, I really like what they're doing. Yeah, I, and, and you, if you're going to listen to the news, I still pray if you're going to if you're going to get into it, you got to hear both sides, and it can't be from the talking heads that you have on the TV screen because no matter how objective they say they're going to try to be, there's always an opinion. We're human beings; that's just what happens. There's always an opinion put in. So getting it in print or finding it where you can read it first, I think, is is paramount. And obviously, again. Find both sides, be well-rounded, be well-informed. And the only way to be well-informed is to read, read it from everybody's perspective that that's out there, um, whether they be right, left or indifferent. Uh, it doesn't make a difference. Just get it all. That's good research. And if one thing you learn in college, especially grad school, if there's anything I got out of college in grad school was the ability to properly research, to gather the information and having all the information available to you 
and to us is the best way to do the research because you you can you can very much have a better well thought out uh, opinion we all have opinions uh having all the information out there not just one side so yeah tremendous and i'm glad they came on because that's that's important to us on the podcast that you have all the information available to you not just one side's information to make good decisions that's going to help our country more than anything right there it's just being well informed better informed with all the inf- information out there that you can really make it easy gather in one place I agree, man. So yeah, while this may sound lofty, the goal is to empower readers so they can lead better, well-informed, more productive lives. Visit try1440.com to learn more and subscribe. That's try1440.com, try1440.com. By the way, thank you so much for agreeing to do this because I mean, I feel like I've been bugging you. I talked to you Monday and now I'm taking up your Wednesday. Uh, good. Uh, so you don't mind telling the story again, the whole story that you've been dealing with Ian again? He can be an asshole sometimes, dude. I don't, are you well, sure? You he said you were a bigger one, so I, I don't know. Well, see, that's why he's an asshole right there. He just verified my point. Right no, so I, no, I'll give uh, on, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll give an intro for the audience. Uh, Zach Anderegg, retired Marine Corps sergeant, author of Rescuing Riley, Saving Myself, A Man and His Dogs Struggled to Find Salvation. So the original video, the Canyon Puppy Rescue video on YouTube is now at almost 5.5 million views. But at this point, I, I get it. It's an older story, but it's an older story that I just happened to come across yeah. recently. Mm-hmm. And I know that more and more people are coming across it. Um, and I feel like you've probably told it a million times, but one, one thing I'd like to get into with you, and, and once again, thanks so much for coming on, uh, before we get into the story itself, I haven't really uh, heard as much about your Marine Corps background, so I'd, I'd love to hear that about you just joining the Marines and what motivated that. Okay. Um, I grew up in Cudahy, Wisconsin, which is south of Milwaukee, and um, didn't have the greatest childhood there. So um, before my 18th birthday, I enlisted in Marine Corps and got on a plane and was you know, flew out to San Diego, and life has never been the same since, right? So um, spent four years in infantry, was 0311, um, had a secondary MOS as a, an assaultman, uh, did two, two deployments overseas, uh, one on the New Orleans, one on the Boxer, and uh, I mean, yeah, just kind of a typical... Uh, Grunt life for four years, so I don't, I don't know what specifically you'd like me to get into, but uh, just you know, played Marine for four years. Did, did you did, did you stay out there on the West Coast then? Twenty with infantry, or did you go back to to Jacksonville? You stay at twenty nine Palms if you were, so or, was, or did they put you in the dirt more? You got to stay in the more the heat in the dirt, or you get to stay in San Diego? So I was stationed at Camp Pendleton the whole time. Um, did uh, did uh, CACs out in uh, twenty nine Palms. Did uh, a month up in Bridgeport. Uh, spent a month down on the Arizona border doing, um, I just forgot what it was called, uh, border patrol, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, with yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the border patrol. Um, and then like I said, two, two Westpacs. Cool. And that's, you're on the boats. People, I, you know, I did a little bit of time on the boat and as a ranger, I hated it. It was awful. It's like, just get me off this damn thing. I couldn't stand it. But being on the boats out there as a, you know, cause we do have a lot of young listeners and they just like trying to figure out what branch they want to go. And, you know, I'm, I'm slanted one way because of where mm-hmm. I serve, but yeah, I do like you know, with you and your experiences, I think any experience in, in telling maybe something that maybe happened on one of the floats you were on uh, would help out. I'd like to learn a little bit more, 
Was there anything, anything, any stories that stuck out with you when you were on your floats after you got done and you were actually on the team that stick out more than anything? Or is it just the mundane being on the boat, getting ready for whatever being, being on that, being on whether it's a quick response team or, or, or anything, of that, anything of that nature. So it's, it's actually both. Um, there were times that you literally just wanted to pull your hair out. They said, well, what the hell do I do on here? I'm, I'm a passenger, right? There's nothing to do. Yeah. Although there is something to do. My friend and I lived in the gym. I mean, you want to talk about being in phenomenal shape. We literally lived in the gym. We ran the flight deck. Um, but also, you know what? As a kid growing up in Milwaukee, I mean, here I am sitting on an 800-foot flat top out on the Indian Ocean. That I mean, is awesome. It, that, that was never lost on me. You know, and uh, I remember, I still remember the very first uh, uh, training op we did was Okinawa. So, you know, I'm in a Hilo South company. So we get on the 46s and we fly over to Okinawa. They drop us off and we, you know, set up security and I'm laying in the grass on this airfield and literally I'm 18 years old. I'm running my hands through the grass and I'm saying to myself, this grass is in Okinawa and I'm in Okinawa. This is crazy. Right. And I don't know that everyone sees it that way, but I know I did. Because I, I think everybody does. Uh, my, my friends are back home, you know, screwing around, getting drunk, doing God only knows what. And here I am with, you know, an M249 saw pointed out into the, you know, into the forest. And I'm laying in, in the, on the grass in Okinawa. I'm like, this is freaking cool, you know. And this is- I, I didn't know what else was that was, you know, what, you know, what to expect. But it just, I, I remember that was, it, it was not lost on me that here I am some teenager from, you know, kind of BFE, Wisconsin, and I'm in Okinawa with, you know, a machine gun and I'm surrounded by a bunch of Marines. So it was cool. That is cool. That's all you bring. It, it does. Those, those things bring those memories back. I remember the first time I was doing a uh, airfield seizure we were practicing. It was in the state side. Though. It was up at Mountain Home. And uh, this is when I saw old I am. The 141s were still working. They, they took them out of commissions, the 17s. And I remember I'm running to my blocking point and a 141s is is because I'm right next to the tarmac. I'm right next to the runway and it's taxiing and his wing goes right over my head. And I look and there's the engine right there. And I'm like, holy yep. shit, that engine is right. Right. But then you're just like in awe. Cause like, I can't, I'm, I'm doing this. How, how cool mm-hmm. is this? You know, and just after jumping on a frozen airfield and it is those, those memories, they never leave you. I, I mean, I get chills just thinking about that first where I like, okay, this, th- th- is this right? I shouldn't be running by a jet yep. engine as it goes over my head in the dark with my nods on. So he's just got his IR flag, but it's those things like that, that, that really, I don't know, grow you up because start. That's where you, I felt like I was starting to grow up. A little yeah. Bit. I've, I've said many times to people that I can think of no better way to transition from childhood to adulthood <laughs> than in, in that kind of environment when it's, it's so real and it's such a contrast to anything you've ever been exposed to. It, it can't help but grow you up and mature you. You have to. You're forced to, or your gun, or your gunny sergeant, or your E6, or somebody's going to force you to grow up at least eventually. Um, so when you got it, what was your just were your time done? Like I'm done with my time. I, it's time for me to transition to something else. Or, or were you thinking about going to college? Or, or did because that's what a lot a lot of kids that go in when they're in high school they get the GI Bill or whatever, and then they want to go get their degrees. After you stayed in for those four years, yeah, what was what was your decision, and why did you make the decision to get out and and uh, and then, uh, or did you have a, that was just your plan? No, my plan was at the uh, wise old age of 17, that if, if, if they had a 20 year contract, <laughs> I would have signed it. And I'm so glad they don't. 
Um, <laughs> unfortunately, um, I was exposed to things in the Marines that I wasn't uh, expecting. And I can sum it up in one word, politics. And I, you know, at 17, I knew nothing about that. Um, Did not expect that to be the case. And when you're sitting there on hour five, scrubbing your weapon, and they're like, we're halfway done, guys. I mean, that's just, that's, that's such BS. Um, When you're, when you're buying spray paint to spray paint your e-tools for battalion inspection, like, this isn't what I joined for. Um, I, I remember one day on ship. So, you know, we had a field day, which is, uh, I'm assuming you know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Clean, clean, oh, yeah. clean the whole breathing area, top to bottom. We did it five consecutive days in a row. Okay, first, second, third weapons platoon, and then we cycled back to first. I'm, I'm like, what the hell are we doing here? And, of course, while this is going on, everyone else is kicked out. So you're just, you know, hiding on ship somewhere. You know, what do I do with myself for six hours? So I remember on day five. I went up to my squad leader. I said, "Hey, sergeant," and I, I this 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 is part of the reason I wasn't a good fit. <laughs> I said, "Hey, sergeant, what are we hoping to accomplish on day five that we didn't accomplish on days one through four? And he just looked at me and said, "I don't know, but we're going to do it." And I'm like, "That's why I'm not staying in. I am not going to become you." So it's it's when when they do that and they bring those things into you, you, you really are you, guys that have have the ability to think for themselves. I, I, like and think open-mindedly like you and I was the same way I said hey why are we doing this again why are we doing this again is it necessary there's a discipline aspect that you have to get initially I get it when you're breaking them off and teaching them but when it comes to just doing stuff just to do it I was just I like no oh, no this is we could be better use of our time or I said even just going back to the gym better use of our and time we could do something th- that is exactly what my problem was it's like instead of doing this bs why aren't we practicing land nav why aren't we up on the flight yeah, deck yeah. practicing small unit tactics? Why aren't we, you know, let's have a singar class if they still have those. Yeah. Um, you know, let's. Yeah, yeah, they, they do. They, they've modified them a bit, but their singars okay. are still out there. Yeah, like, they're still out there. I can come up, you know, I'm a lowly corporal and I can come up with 10 better ways to spend our time. Why aren't we doing it? And I just, I, it got old, got really old. It does. It does because because you, you don't feel like you're growing. You get to a point and and you've grown and hey, I need to go to that next level to grow more. And either you you go to a, a go to SOCOM and you you try out for something like that, or you decide, hey, I'm I'm done. This is all I want to do. I, I need to get out and then you pursue whatever career you have. And then, oh, that's and that's normal. I think I think a lot of a lot of guys have gotten out because it just turned into mundane uh, mundaneness because of maybe a team leader that just didn't want to push you pushed his team he didn't want to, to develop the pl- training mm-hmm. plan but no that's that's good to hear because uh, it is it, it gives guys insight of what you're getting into because you're right 90 percent of the time well I, sh- I shouldn't say that much but a lot of your time is a lot of just mundane repetitive shit mm-hmm. that you got to put up unnecessarily um, and, th- and that's where i struggle is it's unnecessary yeah yeah and and it, i agree i agree with you um I think as I got older and I went to the the, the special uh, special ops units, it's less because, and especially now because their training cycle, our training cycle is just so fast. But when you're when you're with the, the infantry units themselves, they, they just they that's what it gets to. And good guys get out because of that. I was I was like actually I was, I'm, it's funny you say that. I was I was thinking that it's like how many really good high potential people has the military yeah. lost. Uh, and I would say 90%. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, 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 and it, well, that's good. I, you know, in the military and the Marine time, um, 
I didn't know your story either. I know Ian's had you on on the radio on his other show because Ian's got that voice. Yeah, that, this will, that sexy actually, voice of his the, quiet story. This will um this will actually probably be up first because the other show, you know, there's the whole writing aspect. So the people will hear this first. But actually, uh, before we get into that, because I was wondering now that Chris brought it up. So what did you do after you retired? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I think retired is probably not the right word, but after I was discharged. Um, I spent the summer doing construction in Southern California and uh, showed up one day to work and watched half of the guys get laid off on the spot. I'm like, okay, that's not doing that. (laughs) Job security is not in this fresh. No. So um, at the time I had, uh, I was developing a relationship with a girl and she was in Newport, Rhode Island and she was sailing uh, day charters. I'm like, okay, what the hell? Why why don't I go over there and, and do something with her? So rode my motorcycle again from Camp Pendleton back to, or from Southern California uh, to Milwaukee, got on a plane and joined her out in Newport. And a week after I was out there, I walked onto a dock and there was this gorgeous, I didn't know at the time, but I think it was a 1927 or 1928 America's Cup 12 meter. And it was a couple guys hanging out on it. I'm like, hey, by chance, they, you know, any, is, uh, is there, are there any job opportunities out here? And the the, uh, the the oldest guy who was the captain turns around and goes, I'm losing my first mate tomorrow. And I kid you not, I, I, it was, you know, trial by fire. Next day I show up and I have one day to learn how to be the first mate on an antique America's Cup charter boat. And that's what I did for the next two months. Oh, and it's, it's the summertime in Rhode Island. Uh, le- on, on late, the, the latter part of summer into early fall. Wow. Gorgeous. Oh, man, I can't even imagine being on the water because it's just gorgeous out there till, till again, it gets cold and the snow. Well, hits so, the so it got cold. We jumped on a privately owned sailboat and sailed down to the Virgin Islands and then lived there for six months. <laughs> that sucks. Man. You had an awful time when you got out. Jesus, <laughs> miserable. <laughs> the Virgin Islands, oh, that's awful. Virgin Islands on a boat. And I, I would rather I'd rather scrape my gums with sandpaper than do that. That's just terrible. Yeah, I, I was I was having regret from getting out at that time. Definitely right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, so uh, amazing. Yeah. Go with ahead. that, we might as well get into the story. So, um, the thing that's interesting with you is you had a passion since then for going hiking, but really in a more I would say adventurous and extreme way than the average person because you did rappelling and did things that the average person doesn't have the skills to do that you learned in the Marine mm-hmm. Corps. Um, yeah, let's get into what actually happened in Arizona. Like I said, I know you've probably told the story plenty of times, but for this audience, they'd probably love to hear and, it. And me, yeah, this is my brother. No offense. This is first time, first time me hearing about it. I, I know I was deploying a lot of the time and, and, you know, I wasn't a big Ellen. I didn't watch Ellen a whole bunch. I mean, I just, nothing against her. I, I, I don't care about what for sure. She's good. You're good, Ellen. It's good. We're all good. But, um, but yeah, I saw, and then I saw the area that it was, I, you know, and then I, I, I lived in St. George for, 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 and went to college at Dixie. I played football at college when they were at Dixie, when they no were junior college and I lived in that area. So when I saw the pictures, I'm like, holy shit, that looks like the four corners, you know, that, that area right there between, you know, where, where St. George is. And then you can go over to well, the Red Rocks and, and, and then you have, all, all those areas, Zion National Park I was like, man, is, was he up in Moab somewhere? So yeah, tell me because I don't see brings back some memories of of me growing up in 
and living in that Four Corners area. And then I grew up on the Western Slope of Colorado. So I was always down the Four Corners area, Cortez and okay. Durango as well. That's, so yeah, I, I'd like to know the area you were at because it, it, I was like, man, that looks familiar. Well, I'm, I'm so, sure you recognize Page, Arizona. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Go. We played them in football. Those guys, they were, they, we beat them, but they, they were a bunch of big Navajo yeah. Indians. They beat the crap out of us. They were a good, tough team. Very respectful. We played them in high school every year. Page is Tremendous. Yeah, keep going, man. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm severe, really. So yeah, yeah, my wife and I stumbled on Paige um, several years prior. We were just uh, it was over Christmas and did the Grand Canyon and instead of going back the way we came, just went north and circled around. Stumbled on Paige and the uh, Grand Canyon Dam, which that that is so cool. Yes. Um, did Beautiful. the uh, Antelope Canyon tour, and I'm like, okay, th- if there's more of this out here, I need to go check this out. So that that's how I uh, kind of fell in love with Slot Canyons. And then, uh, what, so it was June 2010, I had uh, been running a, a business that we started in Salt Lake for almost a year, and it, it was just kind of a, a bitch of a, a business. It was do-it-yourself, auto-repair shop, and very novel, but, you know, also everyone's like, so how does that work? And it was just very stressful. So I'm like, I'm getting out of here for, for a weekend or whatever, and I'm just going to go. And uh, I went out literally in the middle of nowhere, uh, used Google Earth or whatever I, I used, to find this canyon and uh, spent Saturday night sleeping in my truck. Sunday morning, I get up and I, I kind of had, you know, plan. I had um, all my gear, uh, a bunch of ropes, individual pieces. Like, I'm just going to get into this canyon and I'm going to do rappels, you know, as I come upon them. And when I'm out of rope, I'm going to turn around and I knew I know how to ascend rope. So I'm just going to climb my way back out and, and call it a day. So uh, I was telling Ian before, you know, I, I had eight pieces of rope on my eighth piece. I walked up to this drop off and I looked over the edge. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tired. I'm not even going to do the drop. I just want to see what's down there. I looked down and about 15 feet below me in this pothole is this black creature walking in circles. At which point I literally questioned if I was hallucinating, losing my mind, what was going on? Because there is no possible way that an animal of that size could have been there. It just, it made no sense. So that was how it all started. Yeah, a lot of that, right? It, it thought, I honestly, I probably have been scared the bejesus out of me if I don't like, is that the chupacabra? What exactly, the heck right? that? It's like, Oh my God, guys, cause all that stuff is so slick. I used to mountain bike that area. And then all the, almost all the way to the Cocopelli trail, all the way back up to grand junction, Colorado, starting down. And, and then you got the Valley. Is it Valley of the gods or where it's near Moab and Monticello? But it, that rock is so similar. It's just, it's slick. Mm-hmm. It's like, how the heck do you get down? There? So um, did, was it making any sounds? Did you recognize it, that it was, was the dog or you're like, did you take a step back and just like, okay, let me get a breath and drink water here. Am I that's, seeing things? That's actually the- more, more, more accurate. Yeah. For, so like I said, literally I thought I was hallucinating um, because it just, I've spent enough time in canyons. You just don't see something like that. Right, you're you're in this case. I was 350 feet below the surface. I had done multiple rappels. It's like there's no way this animal got here on its own. And what the hell am I even looking at? Because it didn't look real. All I saw was it was black and it was bony. So I'm sitting there looking, and I'm about you know 10, 15 feet above it. And the more I'm looking, it's like, is it a baby calf? Because the the rear pelvis was so pronounced on this thing. Yeah, and it just it, it was horrifying just to look at an animal in this condition, and I'm just looking and looking. And it's like that is a freaking dog, 
And but it, it really had to sink in because it did not look like a dog. Well, I saw I saw your YouTube video and it did you're right? It looked like a baby calf because of the the matting of the hair, yeah. like when a baby calf is yep. born, it's got all the like it has all the the mama juice on it and all that hairs. It did. It really I I, I could see that. Yeah. So thinking it's a baby. You know, and, and I was wow. I was telling Ian before too. You know when when you do this stuff solo and you're by yourself, you're in a different mindset. You know you're hyper aware, you're hyper alert because you can you can make the stupidest smallest mistake and you just cost you your life. You know, you jump off a little rock that you think you can climb back up and then you realize you can't, you're done. You're stuck. So you're you're already in a place mentally of just being hyper aware, hyper alert, hyper focused, which is not something normal. So, you know, I'm in this mindset looking at this animal, finally come to the conclusion, at least I think it's a dog. So I go back to my pack, which I had left at the last drop, and I actually had a drill on me, um, some anchors. So I, I, I came over to where this dog was and I set up an anchor, rappelled down. And yeah, it was, it was this puppy that literally looked like he should have been dead. He was just in such awful shape. So to kind of move this along, um, I offered it some water and he drank a little bit, but not much. And at that point I realized I couldn't get a good, you know, I couldn't get him out on the spot, but I wanted to help him. So I uh, backed out of the Canyon, you know, climbed up my ropes, went back to the truck Drove, back, uh, drove to the nearest town I could find, and I picked up some dry food and wet food and some styrofoam bowls. Went back out there, rode my ATV to where I assumed was the spot directly above him. So bear in mind, I mean, this, you know, yeah. I, I was in that canyon for an hour and a half, and I, I, I had to guess where is his dog from the rim? So, you know, where, where do I rappel down into? And I don't know what the hell you attribute this to. I nailed it within 50 feet. And that's that's hard. You can get lost. Absolutely, up. everything starts like like Mars. Everything starts looking absolutely. The same. Yeah. So I I rappel down in and I get to the bottom. I'm like, holy crap! I'm almost right by him. So I get go, I go back into the hole with him, and I dig up some of the dirt and I put the the uh, bowls and the uh, the depressions I just dug out so he wouldn't you know trip them or trip on them and, and tip them. Put water and then the wet and dry food in the bowls, and I got him to start eating and then I filmed him. And that's actually in the video where you see him standing over one of the bulls. And what's really sad about it is, you know, he, more than anything, he needed food. And yet, if you watch that video closely, you'll see that he's dry heaving. So here he is trying to eat, but then his stomach is rejecting it because God only knows the last time his stomach has had food. So in that video, you can see, you know, he kind of lurches a little bit with dry heaves. So that was as much as I could do for him on the spot because... You know, I've been asked, you know, all these times, why didn't you just put him in your backpack and carry him out? Because it would have killed him. This oh, dog yeah. was so delicate at that point that putting him in a backpack and then, you know, walking out with him, I don't think he would have survived. So at that point, I left him food, water, and then I brought a, a blue towel with me and I put that on the ground to get him off the mud. And I just hoped that he would be smart enough to lay on the towel. And then my plan was to go into Paige and, um, I was going to reach out to uh, EMS uh, fire station and, you know, I didn't think there was a good chance of it, but I'm like, let me at least see if this is something that they want to get involved with and, and help. So I don't hold this against them at all. Uh, they explained to me that, yeah, we'd like to help, but bear in mind if we're way out there and we get a call and someone dies cause we're not here. And I'm like, I, I get it. I totally get it. So I ended up going to a vet's office. Now it's Sunday afternoon. I'm like, they're not going to be open. So I don't even know why I'm doing this. 
I walk up to the door, I knock, I grab the doorknob, and it's open. And it's like 5 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. I'm like, okay. So I open the door, like, hello. The cleaning lady was there. <laughs> I'm like, all right, so someone's got my back here, right? Because this is just things are working out. Yeah, yeah. So um, I explained to her what I found. I was like, I don't know where it is, but I, I know how to get there. And I think if you give me a cat carrier, I can go back tomorrow, get him, get him out of there, and bring him back. Are you cool with that? And she was so cool. She's like, here you go. Use this. I'll let them know that you to expect you tomorrow. And uh, and it worked. Wow. I, I saw the cat carrier, that portion where you were filming, and then you had to write because you had to put the stuff down. I, I, I you know, I, things happen for a reason. I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm like, I, I do my best to be the best Christian I can, which being a former ranger is not always the, not always perfect, but, but, but I, I do believe there are reasons, man. I mean, there are reasons that didn't. See, the funny thing is because I interviewed, uh, because I interviewed Zach Pryor, I, I already know he is a totally opposite. I, I never, that's the thing. It's, which, is, it's, which is interesting. Is we, but, and I think that's the cool perspective of the show too, is that everybody has a different view on this. So you, you think more so mathematically, right? See, and I, right I'm like, Hey, this right. it was meant to be, whether it's God or Allah or, the tree God outside, I, it, it, there's a reason that happened. And if it's math, it's math, math to me, but math was made from the gods. <laughs> God's made math man. math is, and that's the uh, math is, I love math because math is right. Math, is, you can't be subjective with math. Math's got to work. But I, I do believe there, there's, there's also reasons. And yeah, believe me, I, there's being in the units we are at, you've got guys on all sides of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as faith and not faith. And I, I don't care either way. I, I, I know what I believe in. I know what they believe in. We still are going to fight together regardless. And we're going to fight each other on Friday nights when we're getting back from the range and we're drinking a little bit because that's just what good brothers yeah. do. But again, I just, there, you were meant to be, it, this was meant to be, whether it was math, the math God said yes, <laughs> or whether it was God, God said yes, or whether it was none of the above. And Sheba said, you got to go take care of this dog. Um, Sheba's a cat though. Oh, you get what I'm saying. I'm following. Um, but it still was meant to be. And that's why it's so amazing to me. It's like, man, this just, it was like, it was meant to happen. These things that shouldn't have happened, there should have been a locked door. The, the vets shouldn't be there. You, you know, the, 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 you shouldn't have been, you shouldn't be able to find it again. Holy crap. Without a GPS and a waypoint where you would have mm-hmm. marked it. And you did. Um, so, but you know, I, I know, I know I, I saw your book and I saw, I, re- I haven't read it, but I, I read the, the, and we'll get into that. I read the, the summary of it. Um, you know, and I think a lot of us go through that. We go through these experiences, especially veterans that have been in, and it, it kind of is a wake up call to what's going on in our lives. And, and, you know, I, 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 I want you to keep talking about this because I, the story is completely amazing. Um, but I do think, yeah, you, this was meant to be not just for him, but was for, for you. And if you want to talk about that as you're going, you know, how it would related to what was going on in your own life, please do. Cause there's a lot of veterans that listen to the show that are going through things in their lives that this will help them help them get through whatever trials and tribulations they may be going through. Uh, so yeah, keep, keep, if you don't mind, keep going you brought the dog sure. up. And, so yeah, uh, and- spent the night in a hotel and I've got a, a bit of an engineer's mind. So I'm just sitting there going, okay, what am I going to tie off to? How am I getting down to him? You know, what are all the things that could go wrong? What are the various contingencies to plan for? So if you see the video, you'll see that that cat carrier, it's not that I just took took a carabiner and clipped up to the handle. I actually accounted for what if the handle breaks, 
okay, so I need to create some kind of a basket, you know, that out of webbing and cordage. And then even as far as, well, what if the, the webbing slips around the corner and now the, the, um, the cat carrier can, can slide through there. So I took, um, not 550 cord, but, uh, Prisa cord. And I went around the perimeter of it to hold the webbing in place. Right. So I'm just, I'm, tr- I'm just trying to think of every possible thing that could go wrong down to how I secure the ATV. Cause a bunch of people, you know, these keyboard commandos, they see the video and Oh, you stupid ass. Why'd you repel off an ATV? It's like, you mean the ATV that I had in four wheel drive, locked the transmission, chalked all four tires. You mean that ATV? Right. So, I mean, I'm not stupid. I thought through how to do this. So yeah, I repel down. A um, bunch of people are also like, well, how do you know it's 350 feet? Well, when you have a 200 foot rope and a 265 foot rope, you kind of can do the math on what's left over at the bottom. So that's how I knew how high it was. So yeah, I, I get down there. And, um, at that point, thankfully he was on the blue, uh, towel that I left for him, but he wasn't moving. I'm like, tell me this dog isn't dead. Cause if he is, I'm, I'm in trouble, right? This is going to mess me up. So I get, I get down into the hole and he wasn't moving, but his eyes were open. Like, okay, he's alive. I got a shot at actually saving this guy. So put him in the cat carrier, um, got, got back up to into the Canyon, the, the, the you know, Canyon itself out of the hole. And uh, at that point, you know, I won't get into the mechanics of how I did everything, but it was kind of a, a two-step process where I climbed the first 100 feet by myself because it was um, undercut, so I was free-hanging, which is pretty hard to do. Sure. So then when I get to the ledge, I, I had a tagline attached to him, so I brought him up to me, and then I walked over. There was a bit of a slope, walked over the, uh, up the slope, and then from there it was a 200-plus foot straight up a wall. So I just clipped him into the back of my harness and I had an ascender kit that I, I made and, you know, 20 minutes of some of the hardest climbing I've ever done in my life. Man, your shoulders. I bet just screaming. Bi- biceps. Was it just, yeah. just I mean, pulling you, off? As and- much as possible, you're, you're climbing with your legs, but to keep yourself from falling backwards off the rope, you're, you know, you're kind of tucked in with your hands. So my forearms and my biceps were just screaming, but whatever, you know, you, you take a break and you catch your breath and then you keep going. So I got to the top and man, I was, I was pumped. I'm like, I just got this dog out of this crazy ass spot that no human being could do, which of course isn't true, but I felt that way. Well, I, I did. You, you did. Cause I would have tied a bow tire and, 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 <laughs> and a chit knot. I said, we were, we were both been stuck down there. I wouldn't have known what to do. All well, this stuff. I was, I was pretty pumped. I'm like, and, and then it was a sunny day. And I knew he was cold, so I'm like, this is the first time he's been exposed to the sun, and he's not in that hole anymore. I was just, I was really psyched. So made it back to my truck, and then drove back to Page, Arizona. And I walked into the vet's office, and 100% credit to those people, where, you know, at that point, I had done my job. I walked in, technician was there, she grabbed it, or started untying, you know, the rigging I had. And, and scooped the dog up, took him in the back. And she, she, she and I was really uh, grateful that they did this. So like, come back here with us. So I go, I go in back and they lay him out on the table and they, they commence to, you know, um, getting an IV started. They did temperature and uh, they drew some blood. And, and I'm just sitting back. I'm like, you know, at this point, you guys got this. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much to tell. I'm just trying to 
keep this, you know, moving. Well, we got, we got time. No, we got time. And I, again, I, I love hearing the story. Say, tell it for me. Screw Hey listeners. I don't care if you guys are hearing it. I, I want to know. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm cause I, I'm digging this man. This well, is awesome. So I'm standing there and I'm, I'm kind of in awe at, at just watching this group of people, you know, professionals that had a skill set far beyond mine. And I'm just kind of standing back kind of in awe of them that they've taken responsibility for this dog. And, you know, they don't have this attitude of, oh, it's some stray dog. He's going to die. They're trying to save this dog's life. So they're doing their thing. And at this point, I'm starting to, some weird emotions are kicking up in me. So I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to take off. And they, they looked at me and said, well, you're going to come back, right? I said, well, do you want me to come back? I mean, uh, here he is. Like, well, yeah, come back and check on him and let's figure out what's going to happen. And I, I said, okay, just do, you know, tell me something. Is he going to live? And the, the vet looked – at that point, the vet walked in because it was a text that we were working on him. I'll never forget this. He, he walks in. He knew what was going on, but that was the first time he saw the dog. And he looks down and he goes, oh, my God, what a pitiful sight. And I don't know why those words just really cut me because – I realized for a guy who sees this stuff all the time, for him to say that, that gives me some perspective on just how bad this dog is. And at this point, more so than I realized, I had a major emotional investment into this process. So hearing him say that, I'm like, I'm gonna, all right, I'm gonna take off. And I said, what, you know, what, what are the chances that he's gonna live? And he said, I'm, I'm putting it at forty percent. And I actually had to leave. So I, I turned, I walked out, and I went. And I kind of had a moment in the truck just processing all this, um, asking myself, what, what was I going to do if, you know, when I came back, he was dead? Because, I mean, I really did have a, an, a big emotional investment into this dog at this point. So yeah, yeah. Um, I called my wife and, uh, you know, chatted with her a little bit and I think I had, you know, a moment with her. And I was just like, wow, what, what's going on here? You know, I'm, I should be psyched and, and excited and instead I'm like freaking out that, you know, what, what, what if this happens? What if that happens? So that was kind of my first um, exposure to what this whole thing ultimately was going to, you know, the, the, the impact it was ultimately going to have on me. Sure. I, I Those weird feelings. Those Marines, huh? You guys, you're feeling like you actually, I got all these warm feelings inside me. This is not right. I, I don't need this. No, I, 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 you did. You, you put a lot of work into it. You put a lot of work. You're saving a life. Mm-hmm. And you put a hell of a lot of work into saving a life. I, of course, you're going to have some investment mm-hmm. into it. And dogs, uh, especially alpha males, dogs are dogs are like kids. Yeah. <laughs> to to us, uh, and I think that's to everybody. But you know, you being there, you you saved you saved a life. Of course, you're like, man, I want the happy mm-hmm. ending here, not the. So I, I get it, man. I, and I would be the same way as well. I would have probably had to take a break. And the doctor, you know, I know he wasn't being offensive, but it's tough when a, the lead tech or vet comes in and says, oh, I, I, you know, what a pity. He's like, asshole, what are you talking about? What a pity. Get your shit in there and give me something positive. Yeah. Don't, but he's got he's to be objective. You no, gotta, and, you gotta be and so again, my, I had the utmost respect for every one of those people because, you know, they they jumped in, did what needed to be done. Um, and I, I think he was just, you know, in the moment kind of saying what, how it struck him. He's like, oh, my God, is this dog in bad shape? It's like, yeah, it is. And I'm really hoping you can pull a miracle out of your ass right now because I need this dog <laughs> to live. So when, and, and when I know you said you don't feel Sorry. like, um, you know, that you necessarily manifest things. We, we got into this deeper when I spoke to you. 
But you did say that prior when you were living in California, one of your life goals was to save a life. Um, Yeah, I did. Uh, And so, yeah, to to tell that again, um, I was living in Dana Point and uh, my wife and I um, owned another business in the harbor. And I don't know why, but one day I'm sitting at the computer and the idea of making a life list popped in my head. I'm like, oh, why, why don't I you know, jot down some things that before I die, I'd actually like to accomplish. And, you know, it's something like ride my bike coast to coast. I'm a big bike rider, um, climb Mount Rainier and, you know, some things are on it. Wow. And then just kind of because of my background, I love, you know, outdoors and I love ropes and, and, uh, you know, rappelling and all that. I just, I don't know where this came from, but I wrote, I want to perform a spontaneous rescue in the wilderness one day. Unplanned, just totally out of the book. Did you did you wrote it just I, like I, mean, I, st- just- I still have that list on my laptop? Except wow. what's cool is I put a strike through on that item. So you're right. I've got done. Like, that's done, that's pretty it. badass. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that. I mean, it, it kind of speaks to who I am at my core, which is why I joined the Marines and just kind of who I am. It's like I love search and rescue. I love you know, the technical aspect of, you know, rappelling and ascending and doing all this. I'm like, well, wouldn't it be cool if you could combine it all and actually like rescue someone? Well, it wasn't someone, it was something, but Hey, all, all, all the same. Yeah, it is. No, that, that's the weird, that is weird. I'm, I'm, why would you write that? Who writes it like that too? I would be like, save a life. I wouldn't put spontaneously in the woods. Why would you I wanted it to just eight, be kind of organic, like, Hey, I, I'm, I'm out doing something. And then the situation presents itself, and boom, I just do it. And I'll, I'll be damned. That's exactly what happened. So maybe I need to uh, make a new list and say, you know, spontaneously buy a lottery ticket and win the lottery. I don't know. That, that's what I'm telling you. you got <laughs> most detail and impossible at the local 7-Eleven in – now, are you still live in Arizona, or did you? are you up in Utah? Where are you living so at? I, I never lived in Arizona. I lived in Salt Lake. So you just did that. You, so you were going all the way down to Page to do that. You were driving down there during it. And okay, I shouldn't say all the way down, but I mean, that's that's a good little five jaunt. Hours. Five hours. But yeah. see, that's five hours but, away from a business I was trying to just get a break from. So it was all good. Yeah. Um, it's all good. Right? No, right now I live in St. George, but I might be heading back up to the Pacific Northwest. So cool. St. George is beautiful. I, I know it's getting huge, but St. George is, I love to live in St. George. I still try to get and back. What, what time frame do you live here? I lived there during college years, 89 through 91. 91. I went through junior college there, played football there. And then I would not recognize it anymore. I I heard Washington and St. George are connected. You you wouldn't recognize it here. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So needless to say, you know, of course, you know, the dog was rescued. The, The thing that's interesting, though, is is your suspicions came confirmed on your next local um, visit to the veterinarian when you saw that the dog was shot at. Yeah. And how, how long was this? How long did it till you went back? Okay. So that was, so that was Monday morning that I dropped him off. Uh, Tuesday I came in for a visit and I actually videoed it. And it's, uh, it's um, that footage is on the YouTube video. On the YouTube video. Yeah, okay. So that's the, right. the footage okay. where I'm walking in the, through the vet's office and yep. I walk back to his cage and I open a cage up. So that was Tuesday morning. And what's interesting is you, if you notice, he doesn't move. So this was just kind of an interesting detail of this whole thing. So when I found him, he was standing up and, and able to move. But from Monday morning, when I went back for him for the next week, I never saw that dog stand. And it's interesting. I, I really gave this a lot of thought. And I think I'm right on this. 
he was in survival mode. So when he was in that canyon, every ounce of energy that he had was being devoted to staying alive and if need be protecting himself. Well, once I took over and kind of took charge of his life, it was like he went into a different state of mind, said, okay, they've got it. Now I can go into recovery mode. And he didn't have the, the you know reserve strength to actually move his body anymore. Because when I went and visited him Tuesday, he never moved. Um, his tail flicked a little bit when he saw me, which was very cute. But I, I started feeding him kibble, and he was eating with his head on the pillow. He, he could not even lift his head up. So it, I didn't know it at the time, but in retrospect, I'm like, interesting, his body has switched from survival to recovery. And it's, it's allocated resources differently, and now he just can't move because his body's focused on just, you know, it, uh, as the vet said, he was very toxic. So I think his, his kidneys and all that were just focused on trying to cleanse the, the toxins from his body. So I saw him Tuesday and uh, I looked at the vet and said, so give me an update. They're like, his blood chemistry was beyond awful yesterday and today it's better. Like, so he's going to live like we think he is, right? We can't guarantee it. Um, his teeth are horrible. So we think he may have had parvo. Like, well, what the hell is parvo? And they told me, and like, well, that's not good. So, I mean, again, the odds were just so against this dog. But um, so anyway, to get to your question, uh, ended up taking him home Wednesday, um, which was not my plan. I wanted them to adopt him out because I was like, I did my job. It's not, the dog's going to live. Now find him a good home. And you're like, we are finding him a good home. It's yours. You're, you're home. Yeah, so, <laughs> all right. So. Uh, and I hope that doesn't come across as like I didn't care about the dog. It's just there was a lot of deep psychology going on of what happens if this dog still dies and now he's in my care. So there, there, there was a lot going on, but I, I did take him. And, and it's a big responsibility considering you also already have, I have a, a dog, dog and two cats. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, two cats. So, um, and I just, anyway. I went down there for relaxation and to go to a canyon, not to bring a dog back. So it just, I, I had some mental adjusting need to happen. So anyway, we get back to Salt Lake and within a few days, it's very apparent that my wife is not giving this dog up. The two of them bonded instantly, which I, I was glad to see. So we take him to the vet and now he is doing better. He can stand, but he still looks awful because, you know, he weighs, I think my guess was he weighed 17 pounds when I found him. Wow. So he's still maybe 20, 21 so we take him to the vet and they do a full blown, you know, kind of nose to tail um, assessment of him, which they didn't do in page. Obviously, they were just trying to save him. And one of the things they did was they took an x-ray and the x-ray comes back and the vet goes, what do you suppose this is? And there are three tiny little, very prominent um, white spots. And they're, they're kind of on his on his backside, you know, like, you know, between his shoulder blades and his pelvis. And the vet goes, if I didn't know better, I'd say this looks like birdshot. Birdshot. And I, I said, well, I did find this is a res dog, which is what they call dogs out there from the reservation. And he goes, oh, then I know what. This, yeah, this is birdshot. Someone thought it'd be, it'd be funny to shoot at him with a shotgun. So you think they shot at while he was down in the, or do you think? Do they no, the, the former right? owner. So, yeah, so all that speculation. I don't know that this dog had a former owner. I don't my assumption is he was running around up on, you know, out in the desert somewhere and someone just started shooting at him and three of the other pellets, you know, found their mark and were embedded in his skin. So, you know, that was, that pissed me off to say the least. And I'm like, well, so now what? And he said, you know what? They're, they're superficial. 
They're in the outer layer or in the skin layer. It's not like it's in muscle tissue or anything. I would just let it be. So we did. Okay. And here's kind of a creepy thing that happened is um, recently I had him at the vet uh, for various reasons and they took an x-ray and the vet goes, incidentally, what are these things? Now this dog is 10 years old, 78 pounds. I completely forgot about this. And he's like, what, what's this on this, on the x-ray? Hmm. Like, Oh shit. I remember what that is. That's bird shot from over 10 years ago. And it, it just, it, I literally had forgotten about it. So it was, it was really a trip to be reminded because honestly, once, once we decided to keep him, I, I have 10 years of history with this dog. You know, that was a few hours that I spent at the very beginning. That was, you know, this so extreme. I, I, I even I sometimes forget, you know, where where our relationship started or how I found this dog. And it's like that's right. This is that same dog that almost died and was shot at and whatnot. So it, I don't know if this is making sense, but it just it was kind of a head trip to be reminded that that bird shot was still in him. I think I think that's awesome because you, you you basically became part of your life. That wasn't like. That which which saying it oh, what do you mean, Chris? It became part of your life. Well, all the bad stuff that you found it that's still there, but you moved on, and now it's just you're just to me that's you're just having good memories. Mm-hmm. That just kind of reminded of okay, that was the bad thing that happened, but you forgot about it because everything turned great. Uh, from, I, I mean, he, I know he wasn't this you know for for the better part of ten years. He was not you know he he in no way resembled what he was when I yeah. found him. So. The seventeen-pound calf-looking yeah. dog. That so to, to, just to be him. reminded that that stupid bird shot was still in him, and it was—I don't know—on several levels, without getting really philosophical, it just kind of struck me. It's like, wow, he's—he's he's physically carried that with him his whole life, but he hasn't mentally or emotionally carried it with him. But yet, the scars are still there. It was just kind of trippy the way it, it struck me. Oh, that's yeah, no, it, it's an amazing, crazy. amazing story. Uh, well, one thing you guys kind of have in common, actually, is that, you know, I know there's this stereotype of Navy SEALs that they all want to, like, get out and write What books. are you talking about Navy SEALs? You should, <laughs> yeah. How dare but, you mention Navy SEALs in front of a Ranger and a Marine? Bike yeah, so well, the thing is for bo- both of you guys, because I know, Zach, from, you know, speaking with you prior, neither of you had any plan to write oh, a book. Man. You didn't even have any interest to write oh, a book. Okay. And it I'll just go, so I'll happened go, that I was to say I, I, I fought against it. I wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> Oh yeah, me I, oh man, that was tough when when I first when we did the thirteen hours ones. The ones after I did were very cathartic for me. I, I they they helped okay. get them out, but the the first one, I, I it was what do we do? Do we tell the truth or do we just go back to work? Like nothing nothing happened and keep getting shit on whenever we walk into Langley. And it, that was a team to say that was I, I I'm. I, I think mine probably was a little easier because I could rely on other guys. You know, I had five guys. Okay, what should we do, guys? So it wasn't just – I didn't feel like it was just my decision. It was, hey, let's vote. So that was easier. But having it – if I would had to make it on my own, I, I don't know if I would have made the same decision because it's tough. You're, you're on your own. What should I do? It's not part of – at that time and when we were in, it, it, that's not what you mm-hmm. do. You don't you don't write yeah. books, tell your experiences, unless you're a Navy SEAL. Then, then you're right. But exactly. <laughs> Just giving you shit seals. I love you guys out there. Um, but yeah, how did, how did you get talked into it and how did you get into it? I, you know, I, I, you, what happened? Cause I mean, from that incident, who found out about it? And if you were fighting it, you know, unless somebody had to have found and come to you because publishers just, they just, they just don't do that unless there's a story out there. You have to go to yeah. 
they don't come to you. What, what happens? So <clears throat> I'm trying to keep this short because there's so many steps along the way, but um, as quickly as I can say this. So my friend knew I was doing this down in Arizona. He called KS, He called the local um, news station up in Salt Lake. said, hey, my, my friend's doing this crazy rescue of this dog in his canyon, and I think he's videoing some of it for his wife. You should interview him when he gets back. So that actually happened. That son of a bitch sold you out to, no, to, to, to KSL. No, he was actually damn you? proud of what I, was, I did. <laughs> I, I get it. I, I'm good with it. So it ends up airing on a Wednesday. And they, they actually did a pretty good job. You know, they weren't making me out to be this hero, which I really appreciated. It was just, hey, this is a crazy story. And it was, it was actually more about the dog, which I was very grateful for. Well, that story aired Wednesday night. Thursday, I get a call from a producer on the Today Show. Hey, we saw your story, and we want to interview you tomorrow morning on uh, the, the on the Today Show. I'm like, are you shitting me? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so, yeah, he was he was serious. So, um, next morning, five thirty a.m. our time in Salt Lake, my wife and I and the dog are sitting on our couch in the living room with a big camera facing us and earpieces in, and we're answering questions to Meredith Vieira. <laughs> And I'm like, this is just so freaking weird, <laughs> right? This isn't who I am. So, yeah. yeah. Well, so- and and by the way, I don't. This is completely off topic, but Meredith Vieira definitely also is a thing for military guys. Do you remember that viral clip of her on uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, where she's, you know, by today's standards, very inappropriate with this contestant? Do you ever see that? I have to watch that now. No, oh my I God, have it's not. so funny. It's, it's one of, I'm, I'm not making this up. One of the questions on who wants to be a millionaire was uh, oh, giving a wet willy involves sticking your finger in the person's, and it was like nose, ear, and she says to him, you could stick it anywhere you oh. want. And it's on a family show. <laughs> and, and, he, and and then she also said to him, she's like, I have even more respect for our troop oh, now. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if she was flirty with you. No, no. So no there was no, no flirting going on, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, that so the Today Show uh, interview kind of took things to a whole different level, and my email inbox just blew up. So that was um, – I mean, Facebook had already existed. I knew nothing about it. But my wife said, why don't we just create a Facebook account and try and manage all this through there? I said, okay, whatever the hell all that means, go for it. So she sets up a Facebook account. And yeah, literally, I'm getting message after message about this dog. And are you going to keep him and this and that? And so that actually grew into, I think currently it's at like 45,000 fans that my dog has. (laughs) it's just kind of cool so um and so so a lot of people just like keep us updated on uh, you know if you keep him what you know what are you going to name him because we did all i did is call him puppy for the first week and a half um and yeah so we kept him use the facebook page to update people and it, it just it just turned into this very interactive experience and then all of a sudden i get a message you need to write a book about this like, i'm not writing a damn book about this and then I get another one and another one. And then people are seeing the, the messages telling me to write a book. And they're like, yeah, you, you need to do that. These are just comments yes. on your Facebook page. Okay, guys. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, a couple months into this, um, an Ellen producer calls. Hey, we saw your Today Show interview. So that's just kind of how this all snowballed. Sure. So the following summer, I was, just, I was getting kind of sick of just all these people. You need to write a book. 
Well, I happen to to know someone who did write a best selling uh, book. She was um, a mother of I think nine who escaped from the um, the polygamous group down in Colorado City. Okay. Colorado City, and her name's Carolyn Jessup. And we're we're having dinner one night. She goes, I'm, I'm explaining all this to you know to her, and like I don't know why they want me to write a book. And she said. Whether you choose to go forward with it or not, I think you should start writing and see what happens. Like, okay, you know what? This is coming from someone I respect. And that, that, it was just kind of interesting the way she said it. So I'm like, what the hell? The next day I sit down, I start typing, and I kid you not, 10 pages came out of me. I'm like, where did these 10 pages come from? And I'm not even talking about the book or, or about rescuing my dog. I'm talking about rescuing him and all of a sudden, my childhood shows up in this. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I mean, it was really bizarre. So the next day, another 10, 15 pages comes out of me. And for, what, uh, I think it was 10 straight days, I sat down and I just started typing. And I had 140, 150 pages at the end of it. And I, I did not see any of this coming. I, I was shocked that I was not just talking about the dog, but some other things. Like, why, why is my mind digging this stuff up? So your point uh, that your subsequent books were cathartic, that's what was happening. I just didn't know. You're, you're, yeah. You didn't know. Therapy's coming. You're doing your own self-therapy. Self I mean, is that what it sounds like? Your own un, therapy. Un, unbeknownst to me, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Or, or at least processing is taking place. I don't know if it's okay. so much therapy, but there's processing that's taking place as I'm typing on the keyboard. So... You know, 140, 150 pages comes out of me. Of course, there's no ending. It's just me writing. And uh, she put me in touch with a, um, a literary agent. And he said, this has some potential. Let me talk to some people. And long and short of it is, I got put in touch with a ghostwriter. He said, okay, I see what you've done. Uh, let's do this. Let's do that. And, you know, kind of this back and forth started happening. And next thing you know, a book proposal exists and it's put out into the marketplace and a publisher picks it up. That's awesome. No, you, you did that. You did it. You did it the hard yeah, way. That was a hard way. <laughs> you really did. You did. You like went the, all the other, all the other rock. You're like the opposite way. Um, but that, it's tremendous. Cause you, when you start writing that stuff down, I, I remember even with 13 hours, of life, I, I, we had a great writer named Mitchell Zukov who helped us with it because obviously I, I can't write myself either. It, I, I tell people I, I did it and it turned into a pop-up book, you know, pulling the RPGs and it goes across here. So, so I had to get it, but you do. And you start, I remember talking to him and he's like, Chris, you, you just, you just sent my, cause we talking, we, we tell our, tell our stories into a mic sometimes too. I couldn't write it. And his, uh, his, uh, what do they call it? Per, the tra uh, transcriber. Prescriber? He's like, you, with all the money I had to pay my transcriber with everything that you gave me, uh, outside of 13 hours, he said he could drove. I said, he, he said to me, he goes, he could go to Tahiti for how much I had to pay him with all the information. Cause I just kept spewing stuff just kept yeah. coming out and it wasn't even yeah. about 13 hours. It just kept coming. I was like, geez, I can't shut up, which now, you know, why I can't shut up regardless, but it was even more so. Um, so, but it did help. And then the, the next book and which after that, I was like, it wasn't even writing a book for me. It was it, or for, for people to read. It was for mm -hmm. me. Like I need to, I need to get all this, this stuff out. And you really feel like, I, at least I did, I don't know how you felt, but when it was done, um, especially the Ranger way, the second one, I, I like a weight off my shoulders. Like, man, I feel a little bit better. I, I, maybe I know myself a little bit better than I did before. Yeah, I, Cause I, I don't, I, I don't see how you can come through something like this and not have a better, deeper understanding of yourself. 
Um, in your, in your situation, it sounds like it really was cathartic and, and you ended up in a better place. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'd like to be able to say, you know, happily ever after, but the truth is in some ways going there has caused me to, to think about things more than I was before. And I almost have more questions and more frustrations and, and more things that just almost kind of piss me off about why does life work the way it does? Why do people treat, treat each other the way they do? Why do good people, you know, suffer? It just, I'm, I'm almost, you know, stuck more with that stuff than, okay, now everything makes sense. And, you know, that, that's just the truth. Well, you know, talking to you and just hearing, hearing you out, you're a strong dude, man. I mean, you, you are, you, 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 where you, the route you went to when you got out and then just driving, taking that chance to drive to the East coast, not having a job, not knowing if you're going to have work, who does that? I mean, that's, that's bravery in itself. I, for me, I see it in, uh, you, it fell on your shoulders because you can handle it. And I know you hear that from other, I'm sure you've heard <laughs> that before. Uh, yeah, I can, yeah, yeah. You, know, you get a pass, you know, your strength, but you know, I, I do think things happen to people that whether it's bad and some sometimes are bad, mm-hmm. but it's because they uh, happen. I want it to happen to me because I know if it happened to them, they wouldn't be able to handle it and bam or whatever. Yeah. And I've been to that point before. Yeah. Too. So uh, yeah, I, I'm sure you have as well, but just listening to you talk, I know you're you're a strong person. You're meant just knowing and, and leaving a known to go to an unknown with having no income. I've done that before too. When I was going to college, I had to walk on to Dixie because I didn't have any money, I didn't have nothing, and just leaving but saying, "Okay, I can do this," and then finding out that you can. That's strength in itself, even even more so than deploying overseas. To be honest, I think no, I, I agree with you. So I, I, agree with you. I, I just see strength in you, dude. I, I really do. I, I see a lot of. And admiration and, and yeah, what you did. I mean, who would take the time? You took, what, two days, 48 hours almost, or 36 hours to save the dog? You took a lot of time to, to do, or was it not that long? Yeah, I, it, I, I'm it trying was. to think because it, it was. Here's the thing. How much credit do you give someone when, for them, there was never a choice? You know, I mean, it, people are like, oh, you made such a, a you know, a, a courageous or a noble choice. No, I didn't. I saw that dog and there was no choice. There was no decision. There was a problem to be solved. Right. So it, it, it's, I don't know. I, you, I, I've, I've picked up a lot of kind of interesting uh, perspectives on this experience. That's one of them. Another one is I've, I've really come to hate this idea of the lone superhero, you know, whether it's in, in my situation, I've been called that. Oh, you're, 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 you're such a hero. No, I'm not because here's what's interesting about this. If that dog wasn't there and I had just done this canyon and then climbed out and went home, would I fundamentally be someone different than I am? No. I'm the same guy. I just happened to cross paths with a situation and I chose to do that which came natural to me. Well, that doesn't make you a hero. That makes you who you are. This makes you you're yeah. human, dude. You're 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 and you're a good human that made a choice and you made a choice to help someone when you didn't have to make the choice. I I agree. I, I agree. I agree with you. I I hero heroes used too loosely now. It is, but you still are a good human. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. That is one thing that you definitely damn are because people don't humans. A lot of humans don't do that anymore. No, they don't. They don't make I'll, that I'll, right. I'll take that title, but it's just when I when I hear. Whether it's you know in regards to me or whoever, oh this person's a hero or whatever. It's like enough enough with the the titles like that. This person did a good thing. In my case, 
you know, I distilled it down to three things. I had to have the technical skills, the physical capability, but then, and this is a big one, the, the mentality to want to do something about it. And thankfully I had all three, but that doesn't make me a hero. That just means I did a good thing. You did that. Yeah, and that, that's I, I all. Think, I, I like the way you said. I, I completely agree with you on all that, man. And that's yeah. I, well, no, one hundred percent. I I think what the reason it's such a good story today, though, is just in society we see so many people who don't actually physically go out and do things. It's all this social media like positive mentality, and when people see bad things happening, they just film it and put it up for people to see. And and so few of us, I think, do the right thing. And you did do the right thing. I, I want to skip ahead to one thing though, is that. Look, um, for the audience, Riley recently passed away at the end of last year. Um, you know, you put up a post about it, but you did tell me a, a great story about a girl, a student that you had the uh, you know pleasure of speaking with who had a really crazy story that your book impacted and her commenting on the post about, you know, Riley no longer here with us. Yeah, so you know, it, it's the the downstream consequences of this story just kind of seem to never end and it, it's it's surprising to me that to this day um you know even with this podcast that this story of riley's is still resonating in the world so i'm that's something that just has has ceased to amaze me that just the the longevity of this story and the impact so back in um 2016 I, a, a teacher reached out to me in New York and she said, Hey, um, I, I, you know, I'm a high school teacher. I teach a special ed class and um, I don't know why they chose my book, but they were reading my book. And she said, is there any chance that you would make yourself available to have a conference call with my students when, when we're done? I said, I'd be honored to. I said, first of all, I, I really am grateful that you've chosen to read my book, but absolutely. If I, you know, if that's something they would like, I'm, I'm in. So a couple of weeks later, you know, we set it up and we get on the phone and uh, the kids are a little bashful, a little shy at first. And then, you know, I just start talking with them and they warm up quite quickly. And uh, we're probably 15 minutes into it. And this girl, I mean, this was just such a, a powerful experience because it was, it was organic and it was just so raw and real, this exchange that I had with this girl. So I'm guessing she was 16, 17. And, you know, my story is not, you know, a fairy tale feel good story. It's got some, you know, dark places in it. So she says to me, you know, I read, we read your, your book and, and I, I understand what you went through. So I, I like some advice. Um, I come from an abusive home and she didn't go into it. And I'm glad she didn't, but it, you know, it was clear. She, she, she was dealing with some crap at home that she shouldn't have been. And she said, um, I, I guess I'd like to hear from, from you. What do you think I should do? Okay, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a psychologist. And, you know, I, I don't have any of these quote unquote credentials of a professional. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be honest with this girl and tell her genuinely what I think. And I said, first of all, I'm sorry that you're going through this. You need to understand you've done nothing wrong. This is not your fault. So please make sure you, you, you know, you, you process it that way. I said, just like me, it sounds like, uh, you know, the reality is our parents are supposed to be there to protect us, to love us and, and to be a place of security. But unfortunately we don't all get that. So what I want you to do is I want you to protect yourself. I want you to take care of yourself. 
um, whatever that means. And, um, you know, if you need, if something bad is happening and you need to go to an authority figure or whatever, protect yourself until you can get out of that situation. And the, and the moment you can get out, do it, get away from those people who should be there to protect you. And they're not. And I said, and, and going forward, do not carry this belief that because they carry a title of mom, dad, whoever, that you owe it to maintain a relationship with them. Some people in life are dangerous and they're unhealthy for you. And you need to be sure that you protect yourself first and foremost. And if that means that you separate yourself from them, that's what you do. Now, that is not the question I was expecting when I spoke to this class, right? I was not expecting to have this kind of a dialogue with a 16 or 17 year old girl. But you know what? I got real with her, like very real. Yeah, that's perfect. That's a perfect. Yeah, I'm like, you know what? You, you need someone to be honest with you, not to be politically correct right now. So that's where it went. And I'm like, any second, this teacher is about to say, okay, enough, enough, stop. No, she didn't say a word. So I'm like, you know, I don't know if that, that was appropriate, inappropriate. I don't know what the hell, but that's, she asked me a question. I feel I can relate to her on some level. So I answered her. So that was 2016. So I do this last post a month or two ago with after I lost Riley. And to date, I think I have 1,300 comments on that post. And I think I've read every single one. And I'm skimming through there. And all of a sudden, I see this girl that says, Hi, Zach, this is so-and-so. You don't remember me, but you spoke to my class five, six years ago in New York. I'm like, holy shit, I know exactly who this is. And she says, um, I want you to know that what you said to me that day made that the most important day of my, my childhood. And I don't know what she meant entirely because she didn't go into it, but she, that's what she wrote to me. And that is not the only time I've had a moment like that with people since I have found Riley and since this story has you know, kind of taken off. But that was, that was, so that was pretty intense. You're helping people. And obviously you helped her because, because she's, she's still alive and she's still, she's still, uh, your story resonated with her. It, it's amazing, man, that, that, that that's, that's, you're still able to do that. It's amazing. And, and just cause you're a good person. And what makes you a good person too is, it's not your strength. It's not your, your technical skills. It's just from me talking to you on this interview here is just your humility, dude. You're humble. Humility is one of the hardest strengths for anyone to have. And, and you are, you're extremely humble. Thank you. Um, no, nah, no, it's amazing. And what I loved what you said with all that too, when you came upon Riley and this says to people get out there and try new things, learn new things is you have the ability to help. You had the skill set. Well, how'd you get that? Cause I learned, I wanted to get out there and learn everything. That's what we tell people, get out there and learn everything. You may never use it, but you may need it one time. You got to know it. And you were, you had the skill set, you had the mindset, and so when the when the time came, you were able to act on it. And then throughout that, you've kept your humility, man, which is amazing. And, uh, you know, Christian and not and then or not Christian, you don't. And I, I, this is why I, I piss a lot of Christians off. I do, because I say it again, you don't have to be Christian to be a good person. You don't have to believe in Christianity. You're, it doesn't make a difference. You're a good person regardless. No, just because. And, and, and that's. That that's what we take. I take it in a different route and it, it pisses a lot, a lot of them off. But I believe that I and I got that from fighting alongside Muslims. And okay. no, I didn't give a shit. He didn't believe what I didn't believe in. But he was right there next yeah. to me. He, and 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 they're also fighting against agnostics. And, and so with all that said, 
taking this interview here is just amazing because you're just a tremendous person and you did the right thing and you're still helping people through it with the with the girl. You you, you may have even saved her life. You know, I know you yeah, don't feel I, that I, way I, from I, an outside you know I, I wanted to be um I wanted to shoot straight with her when maybe no one else in her life was. Because I I just I can't imagine a teacher being that honest, that straightforward, that kind of blunt. And I'm like, screw it. You know what? She asked me, I'm a- I'm answering her. So that's I went on I, I went on seven hundred club a while ago. And they don't have me on anymore because whenever they ask me a question, I tell them the answer. But uh, and sometimes they don't like that answer. But I, I, it was about three years ago, and and as Pat Robertson Jr. asked me a question, and I gave him an answer, and it wasn't the answer he was looking for. And I remember I walked off the set and I looked at the producer. I said, "You asked me the question. I'm going to give you an answer." And and that's where and you, and you did the same thing on Fox. And I did the same thing. All these like don't ask me a damn question. Oh yeah, I was like, I'm going to give you an answer. I, it <clears throat> may not be the politically correct answer. But it's the answer. But that's what people need mm-hmm. to hear. And it comes from the heart and it comes from your experience. Yeah. Experience is the best teacher. Our own experiences. That's amazing, dude. I, I again, this is this has been great. I, I love it. And I want people to read your book. I, I really do. Get it out there and, and continue to read it and we'll promote the hell out of it. I mean, if, if, if Ian's the boss though, I just, I'm just the face, right? No, Ian's, I'm kidding. Ian's, <laughs> I just knew when, when I heard amazing. this story, I was like, it's perfect for what we do. It is. And I think the it's audience awesome. feel the same way. Yep. So yeah, this has been great. I mean, I really appreciate you going along with us. Once again, the book itself is rescuing Riley, saving myself, a man and his dog struggle to find salvation. And uh, I, I'm glad that at least we have some part in keeping this story alive because I think people need to hear it and keeping the legacy of, of your dog alive and, and the importance of dogs in our lives. Uh, you know, I, I don't currently have a dog, but I, I did at one time and, and I'll always remember those times. And, and also the fact that dog lived a, a, a pretty long life, all things considered that, you know, <laughs> in part, thanks to you and thanks to the veterinarian uh, that, that helped him and saved yeah, him. Yeah, I've. I've definitely done everything I can, you know, in situations like this to point out that, yes, I got him out of there, but the folks at the Page Animal Hospital, they're the ones who, who saved my dog. You know, yes, I, I got him to the vet and then they did their job and the, them doing their job gave him 10 and a half years of yeah. probably the best life any dog I know of has ever had. And that makes me feel good. You feeding him filet mignon oh, and having a little Chianti on the side. Let me say that. So... <laughs> Did you really? No. So on, on the Ellen show, I didn't know this, but she's a part owner of Halo Dog Food. Okay. So at wow. the end of the segment, all of a sudden, one of her assistants wheels out this big old display of dog food. And bear in mind, I, I didn't you know have a lot of experience with Ellen. So I'm like, what the hell is that all about? And I didn't know she was an owner of this company. I didn't know that she would usually gift things to her guests. I knew nothing. And she's like, and by the way, for the rest of your dog's life, or for, for the rest of Riley's life, he's going to be eating Halo dog food. I'm like, are you shitting me? <laughs> so, that's a, I mean, that's, a, dude, that's like that's, $60 a bag dog food. I know. You're like, holy crap, man. That's awesome. Absolutely. That is a great dog food, but I can spend my 60 bucks on myself. I like it. No, I'm just, that's a selfish part of me coming up. Sorry, 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 guys. I, we were all going such a great route, and here's Tano being selfish again, thinking of but that dude, that's that's all. Yeah, so for, and, and the, for the rest of his life, he and his brother, because he had a brother for a while, um, they ate Halo dog food, and I attribute that as well to why he lives so long, because that's premium quality dog food. Well, put a shout out for Halo. We need to get him as a sponsor. Wow. Let's do that right now. Call, call <laughs> Ellen right now. 
This was awesome, man. Are there is there anything you're promoting besides the book or any organizations for animal rescue that you know you want to shout out or so something like the, that? The Page Animal Hospital has something called an Angel Fund, and unfortunately, just that part of the world, um, there's a lot of animals that are kind of left to fend for themselves out on the reservation there. So they're always helping those animals. So if someone felt compelled to to want to do something you could make a donation to their animal or their um, angel fund and they would appreciate that. That's awesome. Yeah. Good. Well said. Yeah, you're right. Reservations. There's tons of, tons of dogs. Just dogs running around, cats, running around. And unfortunately they're, they're typically abused. So, yeah. you know, then, yeah. and that was the case with Riley and, you know, due to uh, statistical mathematics, I found him. <laughs> you did get I love it. You did you, you did awesome. The mathematics did it. Damn God no, we're, we're, This has been a lot of fun chatting with you guys. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, if you need anything, you hit us up. Anything you want to promote anything else, you hit us up, we'll get you back on the show or just even personally, you can get my cell phone. Nice talking you to you, buddy. Take care. Thanks for your service, well, brother. Yeah, I, I told you that would be a good one. That's good. <laughs> no, I, he it is awesome. That's, I think that's again, we're we're you know, we get into Christianity and all that. I, that's the difference where I learned what Christianity was. It was Christianity should be tolerance, not. And I think serving overseas has given me that where Christianity should be tolerance. Whatever you believe in, you don't have to believe what I believe. Doesn't I, I'm not the authority. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not in any position to judge you at all. And, and I, I and there's good people that I've worked, served with, with Rangers, the agency, and there's shitty people that have served with <laughs> that were Christians, and there's good ones that I served that weren't. And, and I, I think that's where we it's a, another side on the religious side. Yeah, no, I and I didn't know his you know background in faith until you know I asked him that question. He's like, Oh no, to me it's just I happen to be there. But the thing that really stands out to me is that he could say, and I understand the whole perspective of I didn't have a choice. There's a lot of people who might have the same skill set who would say, ah, there's nothing I could do. This is, you know, but that's humility, and that's, that's a great trait to have, have be having that humility and saying, no, I was there at the right place at the right time. No, I was just there and I was ready and I knew what to do and I did it. And, and that makes a good person. I, and I, I agree. I, I think heroes use too much. I hate when people say you're here. Oh, no, I'm not a fucking hero. No. I did what I was supposed to do. I did my job. I was in the right place at the wrong time or wrong place at the right time, whatever you want to say, but I'm not a hero. Um, <clears throat> and I, he's the same way. And that's humility. And, and um, we need more humble people in the world today, especially in politics. I think that would help our leaders a bunch because we see leaders that don't have humility where I think Zach would be a tremendous leader in whatever he wanted to get into. But that's the thing with people with humility is they don't want to be leaders. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, and, but in essence, so he, if he doesn't want to be called a hero, I'll tell him that he is a good, good person. He is a good human being. And that's what everybody just needs to strive for, just to be a good human being and then live yeah. your lives. Yeah. Well, I, I will say, to, I think to Riley throughout his whole 10 year lifespan, he was definitely a hero to him. Oh, yeah. No. And, and back at you, too, dogs, when you're close to them, their dogs are your your heroes, because no matter how, what, what kind of day you have, they're always there wagging their tail. Happy to see you. Our yeah, I, and I know you and I both love dogs. I mean, yeah. like I said, I don't, I don't have a dog at the moment. It just, uh, I, I would love to get another one at some point in my life. But even just seeing dogs, I mean, it really is like a highlight of my life. Getting up to you know meet dogs and pet dogs and beautiful, I, and they really, you know, it's true unconditional love. And and I do think that dog has the memory of 
this this is the person who saved me and it, and it's it's pretty interesting like the whole thing you went into about the survival mode stuff that the dog kind of knew i have to I, I have to do whatever i have to do to survive this and, and he did I, that's just the, any animal that has some sort of conscious thought does that i think people do the same thing you see stories of people that that are in dire situations that they're able to continue to fight on but once they're saved under the hospital bed they sleep for a week straight your body just knows um and knows how to and that's the beauty of, of our bodies is it knows what to do as long as the mind doesn't quit it's when the mind quits that when the body that's when the body shuts down and if your mind and you keep telling yourself, i'm going to be able to make it i'm going to make it your body will figure out a way and use this energy where it needs to go and then when it's all over you're able to go oh, okay i'm going to sleep for eight hours just put an iv in me i'm going to sleep for eight days iv i'm good to go and conscious obviously from what happened with riley dogs have conscious thought too I think all of our domesticated animals have conscious thought in some aspect, but dogs, especially our German Shorter Pointer that died, of, you know, six months ago was a rescue. No, she knew. Yeah. She, she knew how to think and listen and learn. And she was tremendous. And, and she was a rescue dog too. And she loved, loved being in the house. So I have a great picture of her and me. I think it was even in an article put in a magazine, but you see her, she's, it's just, it's perfect. You can see her. She's just right there next to me. We're in the, in the woods and she's just take, I've taken a knee and she's, sitting right there next to me and uh, yeah I, I it was she was a great dog uh, and, and sasha and uh we haven't found one to replace her yet because it just hasn't been the right dog yet to, to find but we're looking we're looking to hopefully find her find another sasha i i didn't realize how long the dog was probably down there until i talked to zach the first time because i was doing my own research writing the article and i was just trying to research how long could a dog survive without water and, it, yeah. and it's just a couple of days but the there was water at the bottom of the canyon with the dampness so without that yeah uh, did he ever say probably wouldn't have survived did the did the, did the the vet or anything ever say in your other interview with him how long they thought the dog was down there no i don't think but he predicted based on what he know, knew he said at least a couple of weeks two or three weeks i mean that which is an insane amount of time and that's why so, the dog was kind of delirious and they're so lucky there was no torrential rainstorms or anything because those little crevices that the dog was in it, it it's gorgeous dude it is so be- slick rock going and mountain bike in those areas and being those if you fall in there and there's a rainstorm flash floods you're you're dead there's nowhere to go and and you'll drown so, so it's amazing there wasn't even a flash flood that happened or that dog would have would have drowned i there was a reason i again I, I believe that there was a reason the dog lived there's a reason zach found him um i think uh Liz talking to him i think they both needed each other um, whether it was math or whether it was a higher power. Uh, and I, I say God, cause that's what I believe in. That's fine. If you don't believe in, that's fine. If you think there was a, there's something else that stepped in, but there was a reason. And, and that's where I always tell people, I expect under my speeches, I say, I always say, they don't believe in something. You don't have to believe what I believe in, but you should believe in something because there is something that brings us together and puts us in positions at the right place, at the right time. Yes. We still have free will to make a choice, which is what he did. He made a choice to save the dog where he could have left. Even though he'll tell you he didn't. Even but. though he didn't make it. He, he, but to him, it was no choice. Yeah. So he was already ingrained with that uh, with that that personality. He wouldn't have joined the Marine Corps if he didn't have that personality. People that serve, I think, already have that sort of personality. Why do we go in and serve, especially in the infantry? You go in there because you're not going in there to slay bodies. You know, hey, kill them all, let God sort them out. You're going in there to protect. I think many, many majority of service people you talk to will say that I'm joining because I want to protect and serve my country. 
serve other people. I want to protect other people and things. Well, he did that. And I, I think that's from listening to him. And I'm, this is my opinion. It's actually, Oh, Chris, you're, you're fucked up. Dude. You don't know. What are you talking about? From his, from his, his, from the Marine Corps on now, prior to that we didn't really get into that. That's, I think that's his personality is to, regardless, I'm going to help if there's, and if there's a car wreck, I'm sure Zach and he saw it, he's down there helping. Oh yeah. Cause that's his, that's his personality. And that makes you a good human. You're right. It doesn't make you a hero, but it makes you a good human being. And to me, that's, that's more important than being a hero. Cause that's something you're going to do every time something bad happens. Not just that one time where something heroic needs to happen. No, yeah. Everybody. And I agree. It, it is, it is what makes someone a good person as yeah. opposed to posting about what a good person yeah. they are on social media. <laughs> that's the complete opposite. Yeah. You know, and it's what we see more of nowadays. Yeah. Um, yeah, this this was an excellent interview, guys. Uh, oh, last thing is, I mean, we're not promoting it because by the time people hear this, you'll yeah, have yeah. already been there. But you're off to Naples, Florida, in a little bit to do a. Uh, is it Naples? To do yeah, Naples. Stuff, right? It's at the the yeah. Alamo Gun Club. I know it, it will already have happened, but yeah, it's great. Things getting back. It to was normal. great. It was great. <laughs> you know, I mean, things getting back to you know things getting back to normal. Um, you know, and yeah, and, yeah. and speaking events again are coming back online. Uh, you know, I've already signed three three more speaking events this year that just came up because states are now opening up. You know, Indiana just opened up um, again. Uh, Nevada is opening back up. Two speaking events just came, which and the events are great for me because they are. They're still very therapeutic for me getting up there and talking, and I enjoy it and it helps me. But it's good to see because some normalcies coming back or, or at least positives are, I see them as positives are coming back to the country and in people's lives. And, and that's good to see, man. It's, it's just fantastic to, to see that. So, and it's a fantastic that I'm able to see it from my point of view where I can see corporations starting to do the things that they enjoy and they do for their, for their company, for the people that work for them. Uh, and they're is, is doing these, these corporate events, which, I know a lot of those people that work for those corporations just from seeing it from the outside view, they enjoy it and they need it to, to continue to work because it's, it's the fun part that they get for, for working or serving a company. And, uh, I, I really like to see those because you can see the people love them that when you go, yeah, they have a blast. These virtual events, you know, the, it'll yeah. just never be the same. Yeah, and that, that's not the same as meeting someone in person. Yeah, and yeah. It, you know, even with what we do, even though what we do is virtually the fact that like I, I got to know you in person before yeah. we ever do that, did this. And that's why we have a good relationship with each other. Um, but yeah, wrapping things up here, we have shirts available. The link to that is in our uh, description. Uh, check co- out all of our coffee great monsters. We coffee saw, mugs yeah, are coming. We're, we're coming online. Wasn't my idea. Wasn't Ian's idea. It was, <laughs> I'll, I'll use one. Yeah. But oh, sure. yeah. It's got our uh, the cartoon drawn by uh, that guy who does all the cartoons. What's his name? Um, I don't know. What's his <laughs> name? Rob, Robbie. Robbie Long. Oh, okay. Robbie cool. Long. cool. Yeah, he does great, great art. So, um, yeah, check those out. Those will be up soon. Check out all the links in description. Support the sponsors. Um, and, yeah, I hope you guys have a great week. And, and hopefully this uh, gives you some motivation. I know hearing... Hearing Zach's story definitely motivated me. I just just motivate you to be a good person and motivate you to learn, learn everything. So if the opportunity arises that you can apply your skill sets to help somebody, you do it. You know, that's why I said, get up and go, go learn everything. Go learn something new or read about it and learn it that way. But then when that chance has to make that choice, you have the ability to do whatever choice that you make. Whereas if you don't know how to do it, you're probably going to choose, oh, I'll let somebody else do it because you, you don't have that skill set. So learn all those skill sets out there. Right? Yeah, I 
I love that part of the story when he tied all that into it. That was very, very well said because um, he had the ability. He had the skills. He was in the right place at the right time. And he made the choice to do it. If any of those other things had faltered, he wouldn't have probably made the choice to do it because he wouldn't have the capability to do it. So to me, that's amazing. Right place at the right time, whether it's math or God, don't care. He was in the right place at the right time. He did the right thing. That makes him a good person. That's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battle Line Podcast and on Twitter at Battle Line Pod. To sign up for future Battle Line tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on. And as always, never quit. <laughs>